It's playoff time, big stakes and bigger promotions. It's time to hammer the over and score some cash. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you a chance to lower the over-under on a featured playoff game. All players who place a bet on the featured basketball game will have a hand in lowering the over-under on the game. That's right, for every 1,500 players who bet the over on the selected game, will drop the over-under by one point. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to hammer the over. For every 1,500 people that bet the over in the featured game, the line will decrease by one point. Yes, this is your chance to improve the odds of hitting the over. So tell your friends and family this is a team effort. Hammer the over and improve your odds of doubling your money. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. Maximum $25 wager, one per customer. Offer ends on 5-23-21. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. We had a little bit of a snafu where I forgot to hit record the first time, but luckily this time we are recording. We do have these words that are being perpetuated for all of our friends, but my name is Nick Berlansky. I'm joined as always by Nick Horwat, and the Penguins have tied the series at one game apiece. Horwat, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing tired as always. I have a... <laughs> A drink that should give me some caffeine because I have to work when we're done with all of this recording. That's so. right. No free ads. Yeah, no free ads. It's a, a green can, though, in case anybody's curious. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's good that we actually really didn't start talking before you weren't recording, so we didn't lose some great content that we we're gonna that we're about to have for you because, as always, it's a great episode. It's a playoff episode. It is an excited playoff episode because, well, we won, like you said. And if you can tell by my voice, I'm a touch horse because I was at the game yesterday and it was a lot of fun. I, for one, am so grateful that this year we get to actually have an episode after a victory because last year we recorded after <laughs> game one in a cabin in the woods, which yep. was a loss. And then by the next time we recorded, they were already eliminated from the playoffs. We didn't even get to enjoy recording an episode following a playoff victory. So this is the first time for the Tip of the Iceberg podcast in doing so. So it's going to be a fun show for you guys. We're going to break down what we thought of Game 2 a little bit, and then we're going to be joined by Smitty of Around the 412, who is going to continue to break down Game 2 and start talking a little bit more about this series with the New York Islanders going forward. And then, of course, we'll finish it off with our shout-outs and call-outs and a little bit of league talk as the NHL playoffs are fully underway. But as you mentioned, you were at the game yes, on Tuesday, which is amazing. I I'm so jealous that you actually got to be at that game, of course, I'm a little bit further away, so it's going to be a little bit more difficult for me to get there. But let me just pull this up really quickly because not only were you at Ooh. the game, look at those seats. Look at those seats. If that if that's the NFL, that's 50-yard line right there. You even got the logo facing the right way. Horwat, what was your experience like with that 50% capacity, 
screaming Penguins fans. It seemed cool over the TV, yes. but you experienced it in person. What was your experience like? Yeah, uh, I can thank, again, Matt McKinney, our buddy, for uh, taking me and Megan along for the ride for this game. Um, excuse me. Basically, from, I saw some of the clips. From the right angles, it looked like a full house. Mm-hmm. It really did. So me and 8,999 other people, it really did feel um, much more like a full house than obviously the, the games before this season it felt incredible because for once it was more people it was the first game with half with half attendance it wasn't the oh how many was it like four or five yeah four four thousand five thousand yeah so it felt much better it felt much louder it, the, the environment felt better i mean there were people actually right in front of you in the seats and right behind you in the seats so you couldn't you know spread out at all but um, I was, I mean, they still separated like this, like your group. So there was still mm-hmm. like no one in the seat next to me. So I was able to kind of put my beer cans to my left and spread my leg a little. So that <laughs> felt good. Um, but yeah, the noise, it was all about the atmosphere. The noise was incredible. It was loud that, um, the seat was great. It felt just, it really did. It felt 50 yard line. We were up and I mean, you got to be there to to really understand the experience. It's hard to just talk about over microphone, and um, the fact that it's not fully confirmed yet. I mean, Morehouse said it before that he wants to try and be a full capacity for, at game for Game Five, which is now happening for sure. Mm-hmm. But the capacity thing, we're not exactly sure yet. I checked through Ticketmaster just to see what was up there, and it looks like they're still only selling at fifty percent. So. We'll see what happens. We got some days to decide. But, um, yeah, I think being in a, an arena with people again, it's something that we all kind of missed and we all really wanted back. And, uh, yeah, there have been people. Yeah, there were people at game one, but something felt different here because it was half capacity. We didn't need the fa- the white noise sound in there. It was all natural and the crowd was into it from the very beginning from the very beginning so it was a fun time hopefully we get to do it some more hopefully more people get to do the same thing and you know hopefully this lasts for the next couple of months you know yet they actually get to play game five because it is necessary because the pittsburgh penguins were able to go out and win by a score of two to one in game two we're gonna overview the game really quickly and then get into our discussion about what we thought about it. And of course, as I mentioned, our discussion with Smitty of Around the 412 coming up in a little bit. But pregame news, of course, Semyon Varlamov is in net for the New York Islanders. Ilya Sorokin played a really good game, as we mentioned on our last episode in game one. But as Barry Trotz does, he goes back to his other goaltender, kind of just rides the wave of what his gut feeling is. And he goes back to Varlamov, who was injured for game one. And I didn't think Varlamov played poorly, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Also, pregame news that Evgeny Malkin was not going to play in Game 2, so he misses both Games 1 and 2. He will be traveling with the team to Long Island for Games 3 and 4, so we'll see if he can draw in for there. But at least for this game, he was not going to be a factor for the Pittsburgh Penguins, who were down 1-0 heading into this game. First period, first and foremost, Brandon Tanev makes an absolutely stunning body check on Brock Nelson. Coming across the ice, beautiful hit, clean hit. And just bringing the energy from the get-go, doing exactly what the Penguins need and the Penguins pay him to do by starting the Penguins up early with great energy hit and a great energy shift for him. 
and that led itself to a Brian Rust goal that floated right over Semyon Varlamov's glove to make it one to nothing for the Pittsburgh Penguins. You witnessed the pyro, and you did yes. confirm that there is pyro in the arena now after Brian Rust's goal. So is it just in the corners, or did they do anything else it's, special? So if you saw the picture that um, you pulled up and the picture I tweeted about, it is just on the opposite end corners. Okay. It's not all four. It's just those two on the same side as the bench, but that's because there are people sitting mm -hmm. on the close end to me. It's there. made for television. Yeah, it's a television <laughs> thing. Um, it's also not a whole lot. Um, some of the angles can make it look like a lot, but it's really just four, or I guess I should say eight, because it's four on each side. Um, kind of just sparkler throwers. So. <laughs> so it's not necessarily pyro pyro, because when you said pyro, I was like, what, we get WWE fire going pyro. in the ceiling? Yeah, just like... <laughs> Is Batista coming out? I mean, no, nah, it's Goldberg. It's Sidney Crosby coming out of Goldberg. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's not a ton of pyro, but it's something. It's interesting. It's something different. It's something new. I mean, I can remember whenever they put the goal lights onto the stanchions mm -hmm. around, all the way around, and I thought that shook me up a little bit. I can remember <laughs> that. So um, anything new, it's it's fun. I mean, it, you got this. You got the space. May as well utilize it. You have the. Um, yeah, I don't even know the word, but utilize it for sure. And it's it was entertaining, and that and that goal, oh my God, uh, Simeon Varlamov, welcome back. Apparently, three minutes in, and just yeah, you have to imagine that has to be partly due to rust, and and, and no All pun right. intended, but <laughs> that has to be just because he'd been missing time with an injury. It's a weak goal to give up. It was something that Tristan Jari did several times in game one, which is just a weak floater over the glove side. But luckily for the Penguins. They're the ones capitalizing it on game two. And then, of course, another weak goal. Jeff Carter was able to put in the shot that makes it 2 to nothing for the Pittsburgh Penguins, their first multi-goal lead of the series. And really, even though that was a weak goal to give up by Varlamov right through his five-hole, that's a lot of patience by Jeff Carter to not just rip it on net the second it gets to his stick. Good patience to cut towards the middle, open up the five-hole, and put the puck in the back of the net. We've talked a lot about how important Jeff Carter's addition was to this team, and it just continues to do so in this game as he gave the Penguins a 2 to nothing lead. But just prior to that, actually, and I got the, the timing of this mis mixed up, the Islanders had a really good opportunity. They got Tristan Jari out of position in the net, and I'm not sure which Islander it was, but one of them shuffled the puck towards the empty net. Luckily enough, Sir Sidney, Sid Happens, Captain Clutch, comes back and knocks the puck out of the air with his stick, making the save, keeping it at a one to nothing game, and really a play that changed the complexion of this game entirely. If you imagine that goal going in and the score being tied at that point, you probably have a much different outcome in this game. The Penguins might still have won the game, but it definitely would not have unfolded the way that it did. So Crosby, a huge stick save, making Pat McAfee look absolutely amazing on Twitter and keeping it at a one to nothing game before Jeff Carter is able to put it in for two to nothing. Do people forget that like during the offseason, or at least he used to, I don't know if he still does, Crosby goes and plays deck hockey as a goalie like mm -hmm. all the time. He used to play at very often. I remember during the lockout, actually, he went there almost every week at least to uh, Deckstar, which used to be like five minutes away from my house. Um, and he would play there as goalie all the time. No, he wouldn't like be on a team or anything. I forget the situation exactly, but he would just kind of pull up, say, I'm here to play goalie. No one would really know who it was. He wouldn't, like, interact with anyone until the game. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can find it, there's a really good old story from, I think it was the Post-Gazette, 
um, that was writing about it. It was like they interviewed one of the players, and they said, I didn't know who it was until I you know, took like four shots on him, and I kind of noticed through the mask that it was Sidney Crosby. So, yeah, do people forget he's a goalie sometimes? Yeah. And he's a decent one? Uh, it's... I mean, he, he, got can, in there. he can do anything he wants on a nice hockey rink because he's going to be good at it no matter what. Yeah, so it's, that, that was really fun to see. So uh, I, I saw, like, whenever I saw it happen, I remember just thinking, like, who was that? Because I couldn't tell who it was from my seat, really. Mm-hmm. I just kind of saw a yellow jersey swoop in and the puck just rolled past. So um, incredible move, incredible stuff. He's the greatest in the world for a reason, <laughs> and that's one of them. Yeah, he makes an absolutely outstanding play to keep it at one to nothing. Jeff Carter follows it up with his goal to make it two to nothing, and the Penguins looked like they were off to the races. I did predict a five-two game; that didn't happen. <laughs> but at this point, at least it looked like it could have happened. Go into yeah. the second period with a two to nothing lead. The Islanders come out the same exact way they came out in the third period of Game One, starting to dominate the period over the Pittsburgh Penguins, and it looked as if the Islanders were going to make a hard push for coming back. Of course, Tristan Jari. The difference in this game was able to stand tall and just kind of weather the storm from the New York Islanders. The Penguins were able to get a couple power plays. There are only two on the game in the second period. Oliver Wallstrom had six minutes that he spent in the penalty box in the second period as he also had a dueling minor with Chris Letang for roughing. But this kid is having a pretty good series so far, albeit ignore the two penalties he took in the second period of game two. But he is a pretty dangerous player for the New York Islanders. He has a really good wrist shot, and he is a key piece to their power play. He just hasn't found the back of the net yet, which I feel like there's a lot of players on both sides that are close to finding the back of the net. Jake Gensel for Pittsburgh, Wallstrom for the Islanders. You have to imagine Barzell eventually is going to get something going. So there's a lot of pent-up scoring aggression that is happening on both sides right now. But Oliver Wallstrom, second period, takes two penalties. The Penguins' power play does not look good on those two opportunities. They looked fine in the first two opportunities of game one, but the two that they got in the second period is what really started to bring the Islanders back into this game. It gave them a lot of momentum. It allowed them to have kind of, you know, confidence in themselves that they not only killed the penalties, but they completely dominated the Penguins in the penalty kill. They almost had a couple shorthanded opportunities as well. And then later in the period, I do not remember if this was late in the second period or early in the third, because I was, on my way to work, Brian Dumlin goes into the boards very awkwardly for joining the rush. He's bumped off by JG Pajot, and he goes in basically in a seated position, but in a position where it could really cause a neck injury, a back injury, a shoulder injury. There's a multitude of things that could have gone wrong for Brian Dumlin, and he was down on the ice for an extended period of time. Luckily for the Penguins, he was able to come back. It's very chronicled how much worse they are without him in the lineup they're just over 500 by i believe a game without him in the lineup and with him in the lineup 500 isn't even in sniffing distance the penguins are so much better with brian dumlin in the lineup so luckily for him dumo was not injured and luckily for the penguins dumo was not seriously injured and then of course later in the second period josh bailey is able to open the scoring for the new york islanders with a backhand glove side top shelf on tristan jari but this one not Tristan Jari's fault. Obviously, a lot was made of the two goals that Jari gave up in game one to the glove side. Actually, all four goals gave up to the glove side in game one. But this wasn't really his fault. Bailey allowed to basically just dance straight into the heart of the Penguins' defensive zone and put one top shelf. Jeff Carter with almost a flyby defensive play. 
and the Islanders cut the score to two to one. And once again, going into the third, here we are, a two to one game. Can the Penguins hold on in game two to get the victory? The last time they won in a playoff game, if you don't count Montreal as the playoffs, then the last time the Pittsburgh Penguins had won a playoff game was 2018 against the Washington Capitals. It had been a while. So we'll see what they did in the third period. They locked it down. They did something that is not like any other Penguins team except this year's team. They locked it down defensively. They played extremely well in front of Tristan Jari. Tristan Jari stood tall as well. And the Penguins, the difference between game one and game two is they actually went out and got scoring chances. They kept pushing for goals in the third period, which you couldn't say the same for in game one. So they went out there. They had a good third period. They were able to hold off the New York Islanders. Brian Russ takes a weird penalty at the end of the game where he catches the puck and just decides to pong shot it out of the defensive zone. He gets called for that. So the Penguins have to kill a six on four. But luckily, they hold on. They send the 9,000 plus into a frenzy at PPG Paints Arena and they tie the series at one. Horwat, we already asked you about the atmosphere throughout the whole game. That last couple minutes following the rust goal, what was that like in that building? I mean, the rust uh, penalty? The rust penalty, yes. Uh, I believe it was very tense, but at this point of the game, yeah, so take take my words with a tiny grain of salt here, because at this point of the game, I have a few, I have a few beers in. <laughs> I am not as nervous as probably I should have been, because I feel like I saw the... Cl- I, I heard Ryan Mill do the announcement of one minute, and in my head, I feel like 20 seconds later, the game was over, so I definitely missed a portion of something. But it, I I definitely felt that um, we had it. It was uh, it, That was the best our penalty kill has looked, I mean, in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, w- I was pretty confident in that whole kill because we kept kind of just getting it down, getting it toward the open net, toward the empty net. We were making good plays, and we weren't giving them opportunities to shoot. Um, I kind of wish I had the track a tracker to know if they got any shots on goal during that penalty kill or during that power play. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure I could find it if I looked hard enough, but I'm not going to. So it just seemed like very, very much like we had it in the bag already. Yeah. Like when the power play started, I think there was a bit of a, okay, let's not do anything too stupid because it is going to be a six on four. Um, they have the two guy advantage, but then they, it seemed like like five, five, six, seven seconds in, they couldn't do anything. So we, mm-hmm. I think the confidence was sort of rebuilt. We got the first dump that almost went in. Um, and that right then and there, you felt it like, okay, we, we got this. They're not going to be able to do too much. We're swarming them somehow and they're not getting anything off. Uh, so it just felt good. It was a, good sequence of a penalty kill, which is not something that this team's been able to say for a while. Mm -hmm. We have a lot more that we discussed with Smitty on game two, but there's one last question I want to ask you before we toss that interview. The first line and the second line accounted for both goals in this game. The first line and second line also accounted for two of the three goals in game one. Yet nobody has scored two goals. So Crosby has a goal, Rust has a goal. Carter has a goal and Captain has a goal. That leaves McCann and Gensel. Which of those two is more likely to put the puck in the back of the net in game three? Ooh, I'm going to say... I'm going to say McCann because 
I feel like he has been shooting a lot more. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's been. I mean, yeah, Gensel's getting his chances, but I just feel like there's something about McCann where he he's at least picked up an assist. So he's got a point going. I think Gensel does too, but I just can't remember right now. Mm-hmm. But there's something with McCann where it's every time he is around or getting the puck, he's finding his way to get it on net. I mean, he's only got four shots. If He's only got four shots in the series so far, and I feel like they all came last night. So mm-hmm. leave it at that. <clears throat> I feel like he's bound to break through soon. Um Honestly, I feel like they could both do it because they're both getting their opportunities, but McCann is just such a different breed sometimes when it comes to this sort of situation that he can break through quietly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's played really well all season, and he's been able to kind of avoid the long-scoring drought. So I don't want to say it's a drought because he hasn't scored in the first two games of the playoffs, but I'd like to see Jared McCann get on the score sheet even more so than seeing a guy like Jake Gensel get on the score sheet because... I'm not necessarily worried about the production of the first line at any point because of what Brian Rust and what Sidney Crosby specifically brings, but I'd like to see Jared McCann get on the score sheet. So it'd be nice to see, honestly, it'd be nice to see them both score in game three because let's just hope that everybody scores in game three. Let's have 18 goals. Everybody that's on the roster scores a goal. That'd be perfect. Now, obviously that's not going to happen. I think it's even more interesting then who scores for the Penguins is who plays in net for the New York Islanders. I mean, after a shaky start, Varlamov played extremely well the last 40 minutes of that game. He was able to shut down the Pittsburgh Penguins and hold them without another goal after that 2 to nothing start. But Ilya Sorokin also got a win in Game 1 and still played extremely well in Game 1. Now, I did mention on our last episode that he made some easy saves look more difficult with what I'll call flurry-isms, but he still played an extremely good game. So it's going to be interesting to see who Trotz decides to go with for the first game at home on Long Island. It it just has to be Varlamov because you. it's not so much because maybe Sorokin's a little better. You don't want to just start playing goalie carousel. You know? It, you don't want to be three games into a series and you haven't had one, your goalie go back-to-back yet Yeah, in, in games. it's it, More or less, I'm thinking it's just not a great look, but if that's legitimate, if Sorokin is a legitimate better goalie, then you have to have a good reason why you're putting him back in after not having him in in game two. Mm-hmm. Just, and it's, it's got to be more than just he's the better goalie. You have to, at least in my eyes, you got to have something there. Yeah. So I'm assuming they keep with Varlamov then almost no matter what because – you just don't want the look of, well, why do we keep changing our goalies? Yeah. Keep, it's just a carousel at this point. Also, I was talking about, we were talking about uh, guys shooting. Jake Gensel leads this series in shots with 11, so. He's bound maybe to Maybe I was through. wrong there. Yeah, maybe I was definitely wrong there with my McCann choice. And here's the thing, to just to close out the New York Islanders goaltending situation, Semyon Varlamov started six of eight games against the Penguins in the regular season. Clearly, Barry Trotz thinks that there's a matchup there that he enjoys and he likes for his team. So I would also imagine, I agree with you, that Semyon Varlamov is probably going to be who we see in Game 3. Now, if the Islanders lose Game 3, depending on Varlamov's performance, I mean, if they lose by a score of 1-0 and the goal is clearly a defensive breakdown, maybe they go back to him. But I feel like if the Penguins have any sort of extenuating success against Semyon Varlamov, meaning three or more goals on the road, in game three on Thursday, then I think we see 
Sorokin coming back for Game 4. But I, I do tend to agree with you. I think Varlamov will get the nod for Game 3. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, more breakdown of Game 2 as we're joined by Smitty of the Around the 412. We'll be right back. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. We are joined by a very special guest to continue breaking down Game 2 of the Pittsburgh Penguins versus New York Islanders. We welcome onto the show Smitty from around the 412. How's it going today, man? I'm doing great, especially after game two. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. As me, especially after game two. I'm very tired and I'm yet to nap, so um, <laughs> I'll try my best to be reading questions and we'll be here. You know how it goes. Horwat is now officially the lucky rabbit's foot for the Pittsburgh Penguins, so we got to get you up to Long Island, buddy. Do they have any good local beers? I would imagine so. At least I would hope so. you got to ask our buddy Dave. Oh, yeah. I forgot about Dave. <laughs> but, Smitty, we're here to talk a lot about Game 2. Of course, the Penguins getting to even up the series with the New York Islanders in a huge win. Only their second win of the past three postseasons. So, a confidence booster, to say the least, for the Penguins there. But the main storyline coming out of Game 1 was Tristan Jari. It, it was pretty evident that everybody was talking about his performance in Game 1 and allowing those glove-side goals. But the Penguins received a boost from both Jari and even Sidney Crosby in net in Game 2. Before we ask about Jari, what did you think of Crosby's big save in the first? Didn't realize it happened at first. I thought, like, even on the broadcast, they said it hit the post, and that's just what I thought would have happened. But, like, had I known it was Sidney Crosby, the one that was in position there, I would have said, no, he got his stick on it to stop it. Um but yeah, just ridiculous. And it's hilarious that, you know, just the other day, Pat McAfee brings up maybe throwing Sydney in net because Jari might not be the guy. And then we actually do see Sydney make a save uh, in that game. But yeah, they, they needed it at that time. I mean, at that point, it's a one nothing game and that would have tied it if he doesn't make that play. So Captain Clutch, yet again, not just on the offensive side. It's funny that you mentioned Pat McAfee because he had a great video of Crosby making the save with his commentary because Pat McAfee, as we know, is a phenomenal sports commentator. <laughs> Um, but I mean, beyond, I mean, I guess is Jari a guy that needs to step up his game going into the, to the rest of the series, but what players on this team, if any, uh, need to change up their game and improve if the Penguins want to win this series? Uh, that's tough, man. Because like even game one, like I, I literally, like, I don't want to put too much pressure on one guy, but after game one, I was saying literally like Jari would be the only reason this team doesn't advance past the Islanders. Like that's how I felt after game one, because I thought for the most part, I mean, I think a little bit during the third period, uh, the Islanders, uh, this is in game one, the Islanders started to dominate play a little bit. But other than that, like, I felt like the Penguins should have come out of game one with a win. And then you look at game two, obviously we got out to the quick start. Um, you know, Brian Dumlin makes a, makes a weird pinch, um, which is kind of uncharacteristic for him. And they go on a two on one. And obviously you said about Crosby making that play, man, there's not too many guys that like, I think need to step their game up. Um, you know, Matheson, he kind of is what he is. Like we talk about it, like for everything that he does so well on the offensive side, at times he he's a roller coaster in his own end. Um, and you just kind of take that for what it is because you know how good he is with the puck on his stick and everything like that. 
But, you know, I, I would say maybe you need to see a little bit more. Like, Jake Gensel, I think, needs to score a goal in the next game or two to get himself going. He had two very good chances uh, in game two and just didn't finish them. But it, it, that's, again, like I'm nitpicking at this point. Like, I really have liked the Pens play through these first two games. And I, I think that the Islanders are very fortunate to have this tied at one. You mentioned Jari's performance. I did want to touch back on that really quickly about how much better he was in game two and how big it was for him confidence-wise to come out in game two and play that way. What did you think of his performance? Uh, so obviously, like, I, I am a fan that wants to see a nice mix of goal scoring, good defense, good goaltending. Like, there's a good balance there. I don't want to see, like, eight, seven track meets every night or anything like that. But I, I feel like, obviously, I would have liked to have seen another goal or two last night and not been on the edge of my seat for 60 minutes. But winning a one-goal game is kind of what I feel like Tristan Jari needed. Like, to have his back against the wall and to make those saves down the stretch and be the one, especially after Russ takes that penalty in, their, in a six-on-four situation to finish out the game. Mm -hmm. Like, you put Tristan Jari's back against the wall and he answered the bell. And I think that that's what he needed for sure going forward. So, you know, all the doubt that was, you know, following him after game one, I think it was a huge confidence boost for, for everybody, you know, to say that this was a guy that we were able to ride the victory in game two. Speaking of people that rode to victory in game two, I think the fourth line had a phenomenal game. And I think they had a somewhat quiet performance in game one, but in game two, especially with Brandon Tanev right off the jump, crushing Brock Nelson. What have you thought of their game so far this series? And do you think the Pens necessarily need them to score goals in this series to be successful? You know, that's interesting. I was going to, I was curious as to if you guys were bring them up. Cause if you didn't, I was going to just the performance that they had, like from Mike Sullivan on home ice to get last change and say, those are the guys that he wants out there against Barzal and he has Jordan Eberle who notoriously kills the pens. I mean, that's a huge Testament to those guys. I think that they're a serviceable third line, but if they're a fourth line, that's the best fourth line in hockey without question to me. I mean, what they do defensively, like, do they need to score? Uh, you know, if they're keeping guys like Matthew Barzell and Jordan Everlay in their own end, I don't think so. I mean, if they can just negate those guys from the game and let the other three lines go and do their thing, I think that in itself is a huge asset to this team. Um, you know, guys like Teddy Bluter, Tanev, and Zach Gastonarese, the way that they played together when you have those three, it's amazing because you just take one of those guys off that line and they don't look like the same unit. But all three of those guys playing together, they are just a force. Um, obviously, you would like to see them chip in one, I think, here you know, here and there, um, especially when a guy like Evgeny Malkin isn't, out, isn't in the lineup. Um, but, man, they are an asset regardless of whether they're putting the puck in the net. And Tuesday, I think the game kind of started to lend itself to their style of play. It started getting chippy. It started getting in your face, a lot of after-the-whistle action. But how much does it concern you that we saw players like Gensel and Crosby kind of in the thick of it there, especially Gensel at the end of the second period, or first period, I believe, with Ryan Pulak? I mean, he's been getting tossed around and crushed all series long so far, and it's only been two games, so clearly some frustration on his part. But how much does it concern you seeing him get in the center of this kind of play? That's, that's a tough question to answer because like, you know, I, I saw Josh Yoey, uh put something out about this. It's like, that's the type of hockey that, you know, your superstar is going through that and, and dealing with those things on a nightly basis. Like Mike Sullivan lives with because of the style of hockey he likes to have like coach. Um, but for a guy like Brian Burke and maybe even Ron Hextall watching that up top last night, I'm sure that they weren't enjoying it. And that's why there's so much, you know, talk about is this team going to look the same 
next year, regardless of what the result is for them this year. Like, do they want to get bigger? Do they want to get heavier? Um, there was rumors that they would do something in, of that fashion at the trade deadline, um, and obviously it didn't happen, Jeff Carter being the one guy that they bring in. But, yeah, to have your superstars, you know, kind of played that way against, like, I, I don't know what the answer is to deter people from doing it. Like, even when we had a guy like Ryan Reeves here, that wasn't stopping people from taking their shots at Crosby and, and Malkin and the superstars of this team. So I really don't know what the answer is. It's obviously worrisome. You don't want them to continue to take those types of hits. But it, it's a shame that you have to have the players kind of police it as opposed to the referees, especially in the playoffs, because those guys just put the whistles away. As we saw last night, they are very reluctant to call penalties, which I'm ne not necessarily like I don't have a problem with it as long as it's on both sides. Like you can't be called one way and not the other. Um, but it's just, it's a shame that, you know, we see Gensel take that, that trip like he did with Sorokin and then, you know, Dumoulin in the hit that he took, um, was that JG Pajo yesterday yeah. that put him into the boards and, and, and things like that. But I really don't know what the answer is to it. It's funny that you mentioned the Penguins not really ever having that. I mean, trying with Ryan Reeves, I think if I think back to the 2016 and 17 cup runs, that was Ian Cole, somebody who is effective on the defensive side, but can still go out there. And he was the guy that occasionally would drop the mitts and go in kind of protection or in kind of in lieu of a star player. So I don't know what the answer is for this Penguins team. I know what Mike Sullivan wants them to do, which is just try to ignore and, and, and persevere and move on. But it seems like it's going to get increasingly harder as this series goes along. I want to say something too um, mm -hmm. that I just it popped in my mind as we were talking about it. I will say that it, this is a group still that does stick up for their guys when things do happen. I mean, mm -hmm. I saw a good example of it yesterday when there was, you know, when Tanev goes into the, the post um, and there's a little bit of a scrum afterwards. Matt Martin is about to go behind Tanev and grab him. I don't know what would have happened had he been able to do that, but Zach Aston Reese hurries up and gets over to Matt Martin and then they tie up and go through a little bit of a scrum. So, you know, these guys do do protect each other. Um, in that way, they stand up for one another. It's just like you said, you don't have a presence um, that's necessarily willing to just drop the Mets anytime when somebody does go after a superstar player. Yeah, and with all that being said, I mean, the series now shifts to playing at Nassau Coliseum, the, you know, the old barn that's basically made of concrete. Uh, what are your thoughts on playing on the road in Nassau? And do you believe there is a noticeable difference? with the Islanders playing playoff hockey in that building versus Barclays or something? <sighs> That's a good question. I I'm curious as to what their record is uh, as of late between those two buildings. But I have a question. Do they even have a Zamboni that, that operates there? Because it seems like as soon as the game starts, the ice is terrible. Um, <laughs> I so I have no idea. 80s. I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, I so I the only thing that I'm curious about, and it's not necessarily the environment or anything like that, how different does it look with the Islanders getting last change now? Because we've seen, you know, like I said, how the Penguins have been able to match up with Barzal and Eberle with the, with the Bluger line, you know, so does Trotz want to get away from that? And does he deploy them against the Crosby line thinking that he's going to get a better result? I mean, the fact that they were able to neutralize that line with the Bluger line, I think it makes life very tough for the Islanders now trying to figure out how to put that line and deploy that line out against them. Um, you know, I think that Pelik and Pollock are one of the best, you know, defensive pairings that nobody talks about. Um, I thought the Penguins actually had a pretty decent night against them yesterday. So I'm very curious again. Is it, For me, it's all about how do the Islanders operate now that they have the last change. It's not necessarily the environment that I'm worried about. I And, and I wouldn't say it's necessarily anything I'm worried about. I mean, if the Penguins can get the same results 
um, that they did in these first two games and Tristan Jari just be more of the game two version that we saw than the game one version. I, I really like, I, I don't see a way that the Islanders can beat the Penguins. And I, I know that that might be a bold statement, but I'm putting it out there right now. I, I just, I've seen very good hockey from the Penguins and what you want to see. They, they're playing the exact opposite way of the way that they did in 2019. You know, they have guys that can break the puck out. That was the biggest, you know, difference to me um, is you don't have guys like Jack Johnson and Eric Goodbrands, and you have at least one guy in each of these defensive pairings that can break the puck out of your own zone. And, you know, that's honestly, when, it, when people ask me about Tristan Jari, that's my favorite thing about him is his puck handling ability. He's almost like a third defenseman back there yeah. with being able to break the puck out. Yeah, it's quite interesting watching Jari especially. We've, he, he also does the thing where he'll make the save and immediately try to bat it out of the air. I think that is, have you noticed that one? Like it's, it's the, the rebounds loose and he swings at it. Yeah. It's, he's a very active goalie in that way. So we'll have to see. I mean, do you think it is the last ride for the unders at Nassau? Do you think this is it? This is the, these last games. So I still have this series go are all three, like our uh, three, four and six all slated to be played there. Yes. Yeah. Okay, because I have this series going six. Not, I, I still think yeah. the Islanders take one of these. I, I think it's tied after four games, so I think that the Penguins and the Islanders split these next two, and then the Penguins win the following two. Right. Um, so I say game six. That's that's the last ride for them there. <laughs> and a big factor in that will be Evgeny Malkin. Do you think he plays at all this round? So I already brought him up once. I got to bring him up again. I had a conversation with Josh Yoey uh, at game one, just ran into him um, walking through the concourse. And we, it, w- it wasn't just me, it was with a couple of other people, but we were like asking him about what his insight was into the Evgeny Malkin situation. Cause it's, it's weird. Cause he's practicing every day, but then not doing line rushes. Like where exactly is he? Um, he thinks he returns this round. I I'm a little, I've been a little bit skeptical of that. The fact that he is traveling with the team. Um, so he said game four is his prediction for when he returns. I don't know if he's going, you know, based off anything or if that's just a complete guess, um, but I mean, you watch these videos of him, it, it, it doesn't like he's taking some contact. I've seen like Colton Sevier bumping him against the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, even like in the games that he returned and I know that he's still trying to get his feet wet at that point, like it, you don't see like a full speed of getting Malkin. And I, I think that this is going to be something that regardless of if he comes back or if he doesn't, he's going to be playing through and it's not going to be healed until next season completely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say I, I do think he returns, and, and I'll trust Josh Yoey uh, <laughs> when I say this. Um, I do think that he returns a little bit later. I don't think he's back for Game 3. I think you could see him for Game 4. At which point do the Penguins really need Evgeny Malkin to be back in the lineup? I mean, they've played fairly well without him in this series, but I personally said that they can beat the Islanders, but past that, you're going to need him in the lineup to go any further than that. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm in. I'm in full agreement with you. I mean, whether it's Washington or Boston, I think that you want to have a guy like him in the lineup. Especially, I, I look at Boston, and I, I've talked about this so many times, but I am so mad at Buffalo for just handing them Taylor Hall because, at that point, before that trade, Boston is a one-line team. Granted, it's yep. a very good line, but that perfection line is really all they had. I mean, David Krejci wasn't scoring goals. They, Craig Smith wasn't scoring goals. They get Taylor Hall, and all of a sudden, they have at least two lines that can score because of what he's done to also improve the games of David Krejci and Craig Smith. Um, so, but, but that's the thing is you look at Pittsburgh and Boston, how they match up. Boston has done a phenomenal job of neutralizing Pittsburgh's top line. And that's when all of a sudden the, the, uh, the presence of Evgeny Malkin becomes that much more important because if the Crosby line isn't going to be able to have that same offensive impact as they normally do, because the Bergeron line is negating them, you need to have Evgeny Malkin 
and his connection with Kasperi Kapanen in the lineup um, to be able to provide that secondary offense for you that you're not getting from that top line. If it's Washington, you know, they're a little bit, I think, top to bottom deeper than Boston is. Granted, they don't have Kuznetsov right now. That's a, that's a weird situation still out with on the COVID list. Um, so I, I don't know when he's going to be back. Um, but he would add another element for that team as well. And I think that they're deeper top to bottom than Boston is. And I think Pittsburgh's, you know, deeper top to bottom as well. So that would be a very interesting matchup and one that I would again say it would be all the more important to have Evgeny Malkin back if we if we match up with them. So either way, regardless of who we play, I think he either gives you an advantage because you become a deeper forward group than what Boston has, or you can at least match up better with Washington with Evgeny Malkin in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that series pretty well. I mean, aside from the Pittsburgh series, uh, which opening round series are you watching the closest? And, you know, also aside from that, which one has been the most entertaining so far? Going into it, I would have said I am deeply invested in the Florida series, the Florida-Tampa Bay series, the battle of Florida matchup for the, and plans for the first time. But Florida has been a mess in their own end. They didn't get the goaltending in game one either. They make the switch there, and then their defense is terrible, and they completely like get shut down with the way that they want to play offense by Tampa because they rely on speed and space, and Tampa just took it all away from them in game two. So I honestly – like I, I thought that series would go seven – I'm not even sure if it gets to, to six now. I like, yeah. uh, but I would say, you know, other obviously inv- invested in Boston, Washington too, seeing who we would potentially play in a round two um, in both those games going to overtime as well. That's been a great series to watch. Uh, now I'm just interested, like, is it Craig Anderson the rest of the way for Washington or what? Because if that's the case, I'm, I'm probably picking Boston to win that series. Craig Anderson can, can steal a game every now and there, then for you. But when he's bad, he is bad. So I think Boston, if uh, Craig Anderson has to be the goalie for the rest of the way for Washington, I think Boston comes out of that series. All right, and I will wrap this up with a uh, very fun question because mm-hmm. you made some noise on Twitter last night. So the Penguins <laughs> tweeted about uh, a pair of – Oh, you guys saw that? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. The Penguins tweeted about a pair of girls that um, came in from Hawaii into town to watch the game. Uh, you shot your shot and responded with just nothing but your phone number. Yep. What was the thought process behind that? How has the reaction been? And most importantly, has have you received a text yet? Uh, so let's break this down step by step. Um, <laughs> initial thought, there was no initial thought. I have no idea what I was thinking when I did that. I just thought it'd be funny. I probably should have used either a fake number or some type of meme where it's like somebody handing them their credit card or something like that, that I've seen before, Mm -hmm. but it was legitimately my phone number that I put out there. Um, I received uh, probably 25 or so texts. I had a couple people add me on Snapchat. I got a couple voicemails that I woke up to, man. I'll I'll be honest though. Like I I was having fun with it. Like it was, it was a very fun night on Twitter. Like, and it made it more fun, obviously at the pens one as well, because otherwise I probably would have been kind of miserable. Uh, but them getting the good result and then my phone just blowing up. The good thing is iPhone does have a setting where if people call me, if it's from a number I don't have, it just goes directly to voicemail. So my phone wasn't blowing up in that regard. But yeah, like I said, I probably got 25 or so texts. The cool thing is people were being so cool about it. They were literally just like saying, let's go pens. Good luck. Had a couple people text me from Canada. Yeah. I don't think I got a text from anybody in Hawaii though. So that's kind of unfortunate. <laughs> Yeah, some of my uh, favorite responses were, I mean, I don't know if you know these people, but uh, the thanks for letting me borrow your Maserati, that was a good one. Um, Just some of the memes that were great. It's uh, (laughs) Big Horny Online. (laughs) I'm just reading them down now. There were some very good ones. Uh, It it gave some good entertainment uh, 
for me sitting in the crowd trying to not be nervous and not be super drunk at the game. <laughs> oh, that's right. You were at the game. So, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it was good. Uh, it was good to, to kind of take your mind away from that for a little bit and, <laughs> and be able to focus on that. But, yeah, dude, that was probably one of the more wild nights that I've had on Twitter. Like, all the responses, like you said, were great. Yeah. It just kind of – I was creating, like, a thread, too, of the text that I was getting for a while mm-hmm. as well. Someone um, sent me a text like about getting checked for like HIV or something like like I was getting some that were kind of like that. But like I said, most of the people were like I got like three people just send me a picture of Phil Kessel. (laughs) All right. Yeah. But no, I did not hear from from either the chick from Hawaii. So not yet. Give it time. I'm also a little surprised because of how that whole Arizona situation happened with with the date. That did play. That that did cross my mind. That I was waiting for the Penguins to jump in with something like that. I thought that would have been funny too. No, dude. Like, listen. I love the Penguins. I love yeah. all the Pittsburgh teams. The social media teams, man, they're not the best. Put me in. I need. <laughs> put me in, coach. I'm ready to roll. <laughs> they have their moments. Horwat, you know what you should have did? You were at the game. You should have played wingman for me. You should have went down there. You know, laid the groundwork and the foundation. Right, yeah. Come on. I didn't you know what? I do. I know a couple other people that were at the game as well, and that didn't cross my mind. <laughs> now I got some text to send of my own to, to reach yeah, out you, to people and say, "What were we thinking?" There you go. <laughs> Before we let you go, we can't let you get out of here without a prediction for Game Three. Who do you think wins? Do you have a score prediction? What do you think is going to happen? Oh, I got a score prediction. All right. Um, so you know, I, I said I was going to be in bold by saying that I think that this series ends in six, and uh, that I think that they're split after four. I just, I, I I can never pick the Penguins to lose a game though. Like mm-hmm. even though I'm obviously saying that they're going to lose at least one more in this series, it's it's not going to be in Game Three. Um, I think that the Penguins ride this momentum of Game Two. Tristan Jari stays sharp. I, I, the one thing about him, man, is what you have to love is the way that he bounces back when he does have a poor performance. And even though you know Sullivan stuck up for him and say that he thought he was fine and made some great saves for the team in that Game One. He knew that he was the, the reason that they didn't come away with a better result. So he always answers the bell. Um, and and I think that, you know, he just kind of rides this momentum now that he's got his confidence back. And and I'll say that the Penguins win game three, four to two. Okay. Four to two. Okay. Do you, do you see the first line? And you said Gensel needs to get a goal Gensel, here. Gensel scoring. Gensel scoring. I, I okay. think he's been knocking on the door. Um, like I said, he had two very good scoring chances. Actually, t- two of the better high-danger scoring chances in the game, uh, in game two. I, I think that game three is where he finally buries one. And then I think you got to watch out because we know that he scores in bunches. Once he get, once he sees one go into the back of the net, I mean, he might score a hat trick tomorrow. He might get three of the four that I'm saying they're going to score. Um, I Because he a, he's a streak scorer. Um, and, and like I said, when he gets one, the, it, the ball just gets rolling for him. So I think that he does get one tomorrow and then we see a little bit of a hot streak from Gensel. And I think that we see Sid just rack up his primary assist as well for the rest of the series. That would certainly be a welcome sign for the Pittsburgh Penguins and a good sign going into a hopeful round two. But Smitty, before we let you go, we want to hear from you what's coming up for around the 412, what's coming up for you, if there's anything else personally, and just speak to us. Tell us what's coming up. Yeah, so uh, around the 412, you can follow us at around the 412. Uh, we do have, we do a weekly show, which is actually going to be, uh, when you guys put this out, on Thursday. Thursday, Thursday. Okay, so we will have already recorded our show. We'll put the show out tomorrow because we record the same t- uh, day as you guys. But um, nothing this week. 
Um, the only thing that we have really like planned pens wise, we do do a weekly show, uh, boxing puck show, but as far as like an interview or anything like that, all I can say is our boy, Brian Rust will be back on as soon as the Penguins playoffs conclude. Hopefully that's with him winning the third Stanley cup. Um, he, he's a great guy. We love interacting with him. Um, you know, we, we talk to him actually pretty frequently at this point. We got one of our boys who's an artist actually drawing up a, uh, a picture of him with a rustache. Um, even though he's not a huge fan of that himself, by the way, um, <laughs> he just does it because the team loves it. It's going to be, uh, be great. So stay on the lookout for that. We're going to have, uh, I don't, I don't know if you watch this, hopefully, hopefully he does, but say he's not watching this at the very moment. I will let you guys in on something. He doesn't know about this picture yet. And we're going to reveal it to him on the show. So. Oh, all right. Well, <laughs> that's definitely going to be a must watch. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you giving us your time and, Hopefully the pens do exactly what you say. Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much. Hello, my name is Richard Blosser, host of the Grit and Barrett podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network, covering the Hershey Bears, the 11-time Calder Cup champions of the American Hockey League, and the 2018 Stanley Cup champion Washington Capitals. Each Tuesday, I recap Bears games, give you Bears news, notes, and nuggets, and all of the hockey news that matters to me, whether it's the American Hockey League, the NHL, or banter about hockey jerseys. This hack brings you high energy. They score! Connor McMichael has ended the game! Unfiltered. Look, Kirko's really going to have to work hard to bring back the fan base from this pandemic because you can't just rely on vaccinations. You have a fan base that is old, stubborn, and very reluctant to change. Not to mention you got to work on bringing back families and then whatever fan base you can try and get back from other parts of the state. You just can't rely on people coming out from 81 and 78. You got to work on a fan base that's very, very hesitant to change and at times unfocused. Look, Ovechkin is basically the guy who comes into the bar, kicks open the door, and says, who ordered a white Russian, huh? Well, we all know Sidney Crosby is the guy who enters in from the side door, red carpet, VIP, Armani suits, and alligator shoes. That's just the type of guys they are. So join me every Tuesday here on the Hockey Podcast Network for the Grit and Barrett Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Grit and Barrett P1. That's Grit, G R I T, and B E A R IT P1 on Twitter. Available wherever you get all your podcasts, part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Thank you once again to Smitty for joining the show. We appreciated him giving us his time to break down game two, preview game three, and also break down his night on Twitter on Tuesday. So it was a fun interview. We're excited that he came on. We're excited to have him on again. But Horwat, what did you think of the interview? How excited are you for this team? And before we get into shout outs and call outs, what are you thinking for game three? Well, uh, it was a great interview, obviously. obviously. I mean, you guys just heard it. It was fun. We had fun talking to him. It's, it's always fun whenever the guys uh, we're interviewing or, or girls, for that matter, because uh, Michelle Krekiola had a ton of great stories. When these people have great stories, mm -hmm. like, just, I know it was nothing huge, but just the idea that he had a tweet that was just his phone number blow up the way it did, um, that's so entertaining, and it's it's always fun to get more than just hockey talk out of these interviews, you know? that's mm -hmm. You like the personal stories, stuff like that, so 
we had fun there. And as for my predictions for the rest of the series, man, I'm still a little nervous, but I think that's just because I, just because I want to see us get a series win before I can really breathe easy again. Yep. That's all it is. I think I mean, we're both I'm, on the same page with that. I'm definitely confident, but I'm also confidently nervous. Yeah. Cautiously so optimistic, as most of our our listeners put it in the Pens poll a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that's where I stand too. It's just we can we know we are the better team on paper, mm-hmm. but and even on the ice in most occasions. But this is why you play the games. This is why you sit back and watch the games and this is why we sit back and analyze the games so let's you know have some confidence be a little nervous because that is part of playoff hockey and just enjoy ourselves let's have some fun here and let's finish it off somehow some way soon well what we're going to do to finish off this episode is shout outs and call outs as we do every thursday make sure you tune in on thursdays to hear our shout outs and call outs weekly horwat who is your shout out this week Cool. We, we talked about it a bunch already. I'm shouting out the 9,000 strong that were at PPG Fans Arena last night because everything I said before, this one doesn't have to be a long one. Uh, they made it feel like a full house. They made it feel like a packed house. A lot of the camera angles that were used made it look like a full house too. It was um, a ton of fun. It's good to have an atmosphere like that back just in time for the playoffs, just in time for important games too. It's like, yeah, game one is important, but, you know, it's nice having – more people in a game two where you're down one or in a game five where who knows what it, what the series looks like at that point yeah um so the more people the merrier obviously ton of fun loud crowd and nature is healing is it not nature is healing it's nice to see all those gold towels waving in the wind at ppg paints arena my shout out also sticking with that game goes to tristan jari we got on him a little bit after game one for his performance, as did most people in Penguins land. But we also kind of backed him a little bit in saying his defense wasn't really helping him all that much in some of those situations. And they're also not all to blame on him because of the way his team played in the third period. But he was able to bounce back in a big way. We knew that this was going to be the storyline of the game. He came back, had a great performance, 37 saves on 38 shots, only giving up one goal. And that was that Josh Bailey backhand that was not necessarily his fault pretty much at all. But coming back and bouncing back with a 974 save percentage on the New York Islanders is huge. It was the performance that the Penguins needed, and of course, also congratulations because that's his first career NHL playoff victory. So 1-2 and two on the career. Congratulations to Tristan Jari. We hope that that's the Tristan Jari we see the rest of the series. I have a, a feeling that it is going to be. And just good on him for coming out and shutting up all the haters. And you mentioned all of the fans that were there hearing a Jari chant. I I don't know why it felt so wholesome. I was like, yes, please support this man because we've seen what happens in this town at some points, whenever a goalie has a bad game and comes back and then makes a save. Do I need to bring up the Boston Bronx cheer that that, that the Penguins fans gave Matt Murray last year? But Tristan Jari has the support of this fan base. Even if he has a bad game, we're going to call him out for it because, I mean, that's what we do. We call out people that have bad games, and I'm sure we'll call out somebody that had a bad game in our next half of this segment. But Tristan Jari played phenomenally, and he deserves my shout-out this week. So he gets my shout-out this week. Yeah, you mentioned the the goal he gave up. If you watched the whole sequence leading up to it, I mean, I almost had the feeling just watching it, like he's going to score here because there was – a ton of interference happening between Jari and whoever else was in front of the net. There was a lot of 
like it got scrappy real quick before um, Josh Bailey was able to skate one in. It's it just got scrappy. Everyone kind of lost their game a little bit, mm-hmm. and the second he shot and went in, I went, yeah, that was gonna happen. It's just the way it looked because Jari was getting involved with someone, so he was out like between the eyes a little bit, just not feeling the right positioning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a good shot, so there's nothing you could do there. But the the nine thousand strong were behind him for sure. And as for those people that I think me, you, and Doug talked about it for a hot minute, uh, the whole bring back flurry crowd again. Yeah, they again, were pretty. We're, they were pretty loud after game one. We're four years removed from this. There is no reason for this. Wait, yo, you, you guys want to bring back Tom Barrasso too? Is that the deal here? No, nobody like, likes Tom Barrasso. <laughs> yeah, but you know what he did? He won. That that is that is very true, but. Again, one last shout-out for Jari. First career NHL playoff victory. Let's move over to call-outs. I'd like to lead off the call-outs here. And listen, I'm going to call these this section of Hockey Twitter out, but I don't always disagree with them. I'm going to call out all the Pierre Maguire haters. Now, oh. it, it is justly due in a lot of instances because he can be a very annoying person and a very annoying personality. I mean, look no further than the way that he pronounces Miko Rantanen every single time he touches the puck. It, it is frustrating. It is annoying. That is something that if he stopped today, his just his acceptance rate would go up at least 30%. Christopher Letang. Christopher Letang, Yes. Listen, I understand that he can be annoying, but can we give this man some due? Like, he flies every night to a different game during the playoffs. He is on air every single night in a different city for the NHL playoffs. He's working hard. I mean, the man does his research. We get that sometimes it's as easy as, oh, where did he play junior hockey? But he does have some really good stories. Most of the time, it's just phoning it in by looking up the player's hockey DB right before the... He goes on air, but he does have some really good stories. You have to appreciate a man that does his research. And honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up on ESPN or TNT broadcast next year because he is technically the lead between the benches analyst for the NHL right now. And part of that might be due to the fact that NBC is the only one determining that. But I feel like he's still going to find himself in a job. I understand that he can be annoying. I understand that a lot of the things that he does is frustrating. Again, the Miko Rantanen thing almost made me want to watch the entire game on mute, the Avalanche game. But at the same time, let's put some respect on his name a little bit because the man does put in the work. Uh, you're not wrong. He totally does. I I think people just get peeved off real easy with him because it's the meme that you're not supposed to like him. Yeah, that's true. It's just, it's the jokes. And then people don't see the good things he does because Mm -hmm. we're not, again, we're not supposed to like him. It's, it's like the whole situation with people not liking all the league's commissioners. Yeah. You're not supposed to like them. You're supposed to boo Goodell despite, you know, how many good things he might actually do. I mean, he wouldn't have a job if he wasn't good at it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like the whole, uh, we don't boo him anymore, but it's the whole not liking Gary Bettman thing. No, we still he, boo him. Eh, oh, well, I guess we haven't <laughs> seen a, we haven't seen a crowd at a cup presentation in a while. Yes. Um, it, you just don't. I'm pretty sure know. they pumped in crowd noise boos for Bettman last year. I, I'd have to go back and look at the tape, yeah. but I'm pretty sure they did that. Well, then there you go. But it's it, it's the joke that you're not. You, people get told you're not supposed to like them, so they don't see the good things they actually do. Mm-hmm. 
but then when the bad things happen, they get amplified to a thousand. And that, the comment of Pierre's comment of the whole analytics thing, mm-hmm. uh, which was just outright wrong. Yeah, it's, things like that happen. But um, I see where you're coming from. He just works hard. He and I'm indifferent with him anymore. I just don't care. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, well, I'm not gonna have to hear him after this season too much anyway because I don't yeah. think he'll be the lead on either of those two networks. But I do think he'll have a job. Right. Probably. He is a free agent, so. He is a free agent. Hot commodity. <laughs> Horowat, who's your call out this week? Uh, it's baseball season again, which Yay. means I'm back. Which means I'm back to calling out the unwritten rules of the game. Ah. Uh, because it happened again. The unwritten rules were broken by a young kid, and the old man, his own manager, by the way, uh, is upset about it. So it's... I missed what actually happened. I know yeah. it was a 3-0 count, and he swung, and he freaking crushed a dinger. But who was yeah, it, and what actually I happened? have to remember the name. I know um, it wasn't Fernando Tatis, because that would have been a lot bigger of a deal. No, it was the Chicago White Sox. Jose Abreu? Um, no, it was some other rookie, I believe. Uh, but it was the Chicago White Sox against the Minnesota Twins. I'm just going to run down the whole thing. It was a blowout. I mean, to the point where... Uh, the twins were pitching the position players mm-hmm. uh and then a 3-0 count came up to this yarell something oh uh is it yanni Garel or yanni Garel? yeah i should have had these names written down i didn't i was lazy but it, he, something like that yeah he absolutely wound up on the 3-0 from a <laughs> position player and sent it to the moon yeah um and according to <laughs> Uh, what Yarel? Yeah. <laughs> According to his own manager Tony Larusa, old man Tony Larusa, by the way. I didn't even know Tony Larusa was still in the league. I think he like only recently started there. Yeah. Uh, but according to his own manager, that's not right for the game. Apparently, oh, Tony was yelling at him God. to uh, not swing at it. Was yelling at him to take. <laughs> and um, here's the thing with position players pitching, I get that it's different it kind of changes the mentality of the game a little mm-hmm. but that is also the that team giving up on the game they do not care anymore yep they're done and plus not only that earlier this season we saw a position player throw a strikeout so yeah they can do the thing let's not yeah i mean it's like in the nhl if you have somebody that doesn't play professional hockey come down on a professional hockey goalie he's gonna score a couple goals because it's a changeup. It's going to throw him off because that's not what he's used to seeing. Right. Yerman Mercedes. That was his name. Yerman Mercedes. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, just... And he hit it off of the big dude on the Twins. Like, the big... That was I, a lot of... I, I'm not good. sure about who plays for the Minnesota Twins anymore. <laughs> uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. Position player, Williams Astu, Astudilo. Chudilo. I'm probably get torched for pronouncing it wrong. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but he seems to be a fun player. He also was not happy about it. But, I mean, if you're a pitcher and you give up a home run, yeah, you're not going to be happy about it because you're a pitcher and you gave up a home run. Correct. Even if you're a position player. Listen, I love the sport of baseball, but um, I also enjoy watching baseball players have fun. Mm-hmm. It's not like he celebrated it. It's not like he bat flipped in his face. No, it's he had a home like run. He hit a home run in garbage time. And... John Boy, who I have shouted out on this show before, uh, was talking how um, 
German Mercedes is at the end of a contract year that will probably go to arbitration. You get more money in arbitration based on your stats. So an extra home run here and there mm-hmm. could be a huge contract thing for him. Yep. So so be it. They're not going to look at who the home run was on. They're not going to look at what the count was, all this, that, and the other. And that's not even the point I'm getting at. The point I'm getting at is, for God's sakes, what can we? Can baseball stop tripping over itself with this kind of thing? It's, it can be a fun sport. It mm-hmm. really can. Is it hard to sit through? Yes, I love the sport to death, but it is hard to sit through a whole game sometimes. It, when the pit, when there's a position player pitching, I'm watching. That's fun because it's different. If that position player, if and if a bomb gets hit off of it, that's fun. And he, there's no way he's the first position player to give up a home run. But um, the fact that Tony Larusa, uh, this kid's own manager, was was very against it and um, didn't do much uh, whenever the Twins threw at him the next game, uh, really says something. By the way, yeah, it says that the MLB is still trying to move forward and trying to stay in 1960 at the same time. I mean, when did the Pirates get their participation trophy this year? Because that's what this kind of seems like to me. Like, you're a professional sport. I don't care what happens. I'm hitting home runs if I'm going up to the plate. That is that not the goal every time I get, I get to the plate? Is that not the best possible outcome for my team? I don't care that the score is 18 to nothing. I'm going to go out there and try to hit a home run. I don't care if the count is 3-0. If you give me a meatball, I'm going to hit the damn meatball. So it, it, it's ridiculous that this is still something that bothers people. And especially because, yeah, you, you mentioned it is something that goes into their contracts. And knowing the MLB, literally they'll probably look at, oh, what was your numbers with a 3-0 count? Because their stats get so freaking in particular that it might get down to that. But in all intents and purposes, the point is, who cares? He hit a home run. If you don't want it to happen, don't put a pitcher on the mound. Or don't put a position player on the mound. Yeah, that, that was the other argument is just put in a pitcher then. Yeah. Put, because they could be fighting for the same thing. Put, they Their stats could be based on stuff. Yeah, it's garbage time, but who really cares? Mm-hmm. If you don't want to give up a home run, don't put in a position player. But that, one, that would also just be on the Twins, though. It's weird that... We're saying don't put in a position player whenever I'm. We're all kind of yelling at Tony Larusa. Yeah, that's... who is the team who hit the who was the one that hit the home run? I don't know. It's weird. He didn't handle the situation right because he's not backing his own player. Mm-hmm. That's the part that upsets me. No matter what happens, if the Capitals can least... back Tom Wilson through thick and thin, you can back your player for hitting a home run on a three-zero count. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, apparently. Yeah, I mean, like I said, apparently he didn't really do much um, whenever um, the Twins threw at him the next game, and that's just the upsetting part. Yep. The MLB will never get out of its own way, as you said, I think so perfectly, is how how that encompasses that entire league. But let's finish off the show with a couple of storylines from around the NHL playoffs. Of course, the most wonderful time of the year is here. I've watched so much playoff hockey that I'm going to be so sad when it's gone, I'm probably going to go into depression as soon as the NHL playoffs end. But, Horat, what other series have you watched the most in these playoffs? I know for me, it's been that Boston-Washington series. Yeah, I watched a good amount of that one. I watched the Golden Knights and Minnesota Wild go into overtime the first game. 
and I watched a little bit of the first game of the Panthers Lightning. So mm. I've seen more than even I would have expected at this point. Um, but it's all it's very early on to make these whole bold predictions on things, mm-hmm. but it's it's playoff hockey. It's a ton of fun. I mean, Boston and Washington, two overtime games so far. Yeah. In a tight series, it's 1-1. Then there's um, the Canadian division that hasn't started yet. It looks like Florida really got the short end of a stick here. Team that's so good. And then all of a sudden, you got to play Tampa Bay. Yeah, who just brings Nikita Kucherov in that hasn't played since he won the Stanley Cup. And that's a whole other can of worms. (laughs) That's a whole other issue. Yeah, and it also doesn't help the Panthers that they're playing without Aaron Ekblad. He, he is, he's obviously the leader on the back end there, and for them to have to try to slow down the Tampa Bay Lightning without their best defensive player, it makes it difficult. Not that Keith Yandel isn't good, but he's not Aaron Ekblad. Yeah, so it's uh, it's going to be an entertaining playoffs for, like, for sure. It's uh, mm-hmm. It already has been. Yeah. And uh, what else do we got? What else are... I mean, I know you said you've only seen a couple of games, but which team to you has been the most impressive early on? Ooh, that's a good one because just by looking at the numbers, I mean, I would have to say Tampa Bay, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, there's some shenaniganery happening with that whole Kucherov thing. Also, Stamkos was returning. Um, so who really knows what that could all be about? But they look, they're a great team. They are. It sucks to say that um, they may have misused some things, mis, you know, done some things wrong. But, hey, they, it's not like they did anything illegal or broke any unwritten rules. Yeah, no. It, it's written in the rules that you're allowed to do what they did, and that's why they're $8 million over the salary cap. <laughs> hey, so be it. They look like a world eater again and again. Just... <laughs> The Panthers got the short end of the stick, man. A great team that could really make some noise. They are for real. We've been asking that question all year, but guess what? You're heading to the wood chipper, apparently. Yeah, it was almost ridiculous that Tampa Bay finished in third place in that division, but we'll see what happens the rest of there. Of course, Tampa Bay having a 2 to nothing series lead over Florida. I think the Colorado Avalanche have been the most impressive. They've only played in one game, so it's hard to really judge based on overall just sample size, but in that one game... They absolutely pummeled the St. Louis Blues. And I understand that Colorado was the president's trophy winning team. But if it wasn't for Jordan Bennington, that game would have ended 10 to nothing. It, it, it really would have ended 10 to nothing. I mean, the Avalanche put on 50 shots on goal and just the whole McKinnon line was flying. It was amazing. I mean, Kale McCarr's goal was ridiculous the way that he just embarrassed. I don't even remember who it was on the Blues but he just embarrassed him cutting to the middle of the ice and Nathan McKinnon himself firing on all cylinders. I mean, the man was absolutely electric, pounding the puck into the empty net with probably a 90-mile-an-hour wrist shot from what it seemed like, just emphatically putting a nail in the coffin for the Avalanche. This team is going to be a very, very tough out, and we said that last year, and somehow the Stars were able to do it. I think it was in large part due to the Avalanche's goalie injuries, but... Philip Grubauer looked good. That whole team looked good. I look at their defense with Ryan Graves, Sam Girard, you know, McCarr, Byram. They're stacked in every sense of the word. So I think they've been 
only one game, but they've been the most impressive. They do play later tonight, so when this comes out, they'll have already played game two. But as of right now, to me, they're the most impressive team. Yeah, that, I like that answer too. I mean, I just I didn't see any of it, um, <laughs> but it is the Colorado Avalanche. It is a lot of people's pick to win the whole damn thing. So, yeah, looks like they're off to a good start with that situation. A couple just more house cleaning questions. What series do you want to see go seven games? I think for me, there's two. Boston-Washington, definitely, because they've both gone to overtime, and the fact that these two teams are absolutely killing each other. Tom Wilson sent Curtis Lazar to Mars in Game 2, which was absolutely hilarious. And then, you know, Zdeno Chara against his old team. The storylines are plentiful in that series, and of course, the series tied at one, going back to Boston. The other one, I want to see Vegas and Minnesota do this for seven, because that series is so much fun. It's kind of a coming-out party for the Minnesota Wild. If they can pull off the upset, it would be the upset of the playoffs, no matter what happens the rest of the way for any other series. But it's a great series. Cam Talbot has played well. Marc-Andre Fleury has stood on his head and only given up one goal in both games. So those two series, to me, are the two that I'd like to see get the full complement of seven games. Yeah, I'm with you on Boston, Washington, for sure. Just to see them kill each other, really. <laughs> it's Those two are just going to wear each other out. And the funny thing is, Boston's not playing that well. I mean, given the just putting into consideration the fact that Washington is down to their third-string goalie, mm -hmm. their 40-year-old third-string goalie that a lot of people just found out was playing there, <laughs> and they don't have one of their better goal scorers in Kuznetsov. It's what is that team exactly, and how were they able to push overtime twice against who, the team that is supposed to be the greatest, that, is, that was supposed to come out on top of the East? It's yeah, that one's very interesting. So that one can go seven. That'd be fun, and like I said, not just because they'll be killing each other the entire time, but just because it makes a story out of that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, the last time these two teams played in the playoffs, it was an absolutely fantastic series. So you expect nothing less from this, and we've so far been treated to a really good first two games for them. Game three of them, of all, of course, is also tonight when we're recording this. So you will know the response to game three in the. Score of Game 3 when you're actually listening to this. Last question before we send it away for the week. What are you most looking forward to the rest of this round? From anywhere? Any team? Anywhere, any team, anything except Gritty. Which doesn't matter because he's playing golf. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm really looking forward to. Not seeing Gritty for the next few months. Um, what am I most looking forward to? I'm looking forward to seeing what the Canadian division can actually do. Mm-hmm. See what kind of noise they can really make up there. Uh, the Leafs got all kind of nonsense happening, I think, for some reason with their goaltending situation, if, they, if that's what they want to call it. I mean, it is. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I think why, it's interesting. What's the? Uh, these are questions I can ask you later. But like, wh why are these guys able to go play AHL games? I'm not sure. I think what it was it Freddie Anderson versus Carey Price that played in an AHL game between the Marlies and the Laval and Brandon Gallagher because I mean. They can get sent down. I don't think the NHL really cares. They're like, All right, go ahead. All right, then I want to put Malkin down to Wilkes-Barre for Wilkes-Barre season's over. I don't care. <laughs> that's, that's not this. That, that, that's send absolute. them down and put Wilkes-Barre in the playoffs just so Malkin can play. It's horse. It's horseshit to me. I think. I mean, why yeah. do they have that ability? Because because and we've had to fight with waivers all season just to put someone on the taxi squad. Yeah. Why can these guys just freely go to the age? <laughs> 
if it's for a rehab thing, why are more teams not taking advantage of it then? That's true. Because I would love to just, like I said, put Malkin to in Wilkesbury for a game. Oh, that would be so much fun. I know. That I would be I so much fun to watch him tear up the AHL. Exactly. <laughs> and just give them the give like. Pio Joseph gets like thirty primary assists in a game. <laughs> Speaking of Pio Joseph, welcome to the Black Aces. But you, you know what I'm getting at though? It's like why, why are more teams not taking advantage of that then? If yeah. that if that is an an honest option. Yeah, that's true. But I, because it's either teams just aren't taking advantage of it the way they should because a rehab stint would be nice for a lot of people. I mean, baseball does it all the time. Yeah. Um, but if not, why were they allowed to do it? Because we had to fight with waivers all season, like I said. Anyway, back to the question at hand of what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see what the Canadian division can actually do in the in the postseason. Uh, Connor McDavid gets his feet wet tonight. Yeah, that's that's actually what I'm most looking oh boy. forward to. I'm looking forward to seeing what Connor McDavid ends up doing. And I wanted to look these up, and I, I completely spaced on doing it. But what he did in the bubble last year was ridiculous and a losing effort to the Chicago Blackhawks. What he's done this season to the Winnipeg Jets alone has been absolutely ridiculous. I mean, what he did this season to everybody in that division is ridiculous. Over 100 points in 56 games. That's not even human. We already talked about it. I think he was my shout-out last week, so we, we already talked about that enough. But last year, he was the only one scoring in the bubble. I think he had like 10 points in four games or something like Nine that. Nine and four. Nine points in four games. And then this year, he's absolutely just crushed the Winnipeg Jets. So I'm excited to see what he can do, especially if the Oilers can go on a little bit of a run here. I want to see what he can do in possibly a full playoffs. I think the Oilers win that series. I, I don't think it'll be particularly close considering the way Winnipeg played to end the season. But if we end up, and that is an if, because anything can happen, it's the Stanley Cup playoffs. But if we end up with the Connor McDavid versus Austin Matthews second round matchup, between Edmonton and Toronto. First of all, those two media outlets, oh, that is a match made in heaven. Like, WWE booking can make a match that good. But McDavid versus Matthews would also be something to see. Yeah, that's that'd be quite fun. Especially because that's something you're not going to see very often going forward because they play in two different yeah. conferences. Yeah, you're very, very right about that. So that'll be interesting. And, yeah, I mean... Also, because the Oilers also have to figure out their goaltending situation. That Someone's got to get good there if they really want to make it past the first round. Let's be honest. Connor Hellebuck could also stand on his head probably at the flip that, of a switch. That's, that's the last hope for Winnipeg if Connor Hellebuck yeah. comes out in Vezina form. But Mike Smith has had a really good season for Edmonton. I guess so. It's just old man Mike Smith, though. Like, Yeah, if he, we'll can, if he reverts to old man Mike Smith, then they're in trouble. But if he stays the way that he's been playing during the regular season, I don't think they're going to have a problem in the first round. Yeah, I mean, it may not seem like it because Connor McDavid ha was so dominant this season. That series could honestly go either way. Yeah, I think I, it could. I, I just I don't know with the way Winnipeg played at the end of the season. Yeah, it, it, I, we'll have I to see. It. That's why they play the games, right? Yeah. I mean, I get it. It's you know, Winnipeg really came in just with no rubber left on their tires. Yeah. But at the same time, you look at because what these two teams, what the Oilers have. You know, so good. They have Connor McDavid, Leon Draisaitl, and offense. Uh, that's kind of what Winnipeg needs right now. Mm -hmm. Whereas they, Winnipeg has goaltending, and that is exactly what Edmonton can use if Mike Smith reverts. Just so work your teams two... together and instantly become the Stanley Cup champions. Exactly. They, <laughs> they have what the other team needs. So it's 
it's going to be a dogfight for sure. I just think with those factors, it could go either way. That's fair enough. And luckily, we get to watch game one tonight. Those of you that are listening get to know the results of game one while we have this talk. So obviously, when Winnipeg goes out and wins six to nothing, I'm going to look really foolish. But <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I do have one more thing for us before we go. And this is going to be something that's probably automatically going to turn into just a quick video snippet. But Horwat, going forward for the Pittsburgh Penguins. As of right now, how do you feel about them? One to four, pick one of these moments. Pick one of these moods, uh, thanks to this tweet by Pittsburgh Clothing Company that they put out there. Which Brandon Tanev are you today after game two? Oh, which one's the tired one? That looks like the top left. That, that looks like the Brandon Tanev I'm scared of ghost one. Yeah, I'm going to go with that one just because, I don't know, that's, that's a good answer. I'm not angry at anything. I'm not like super jacked about anything today i mean today's just the off day right so it is the off day i'm super jacked because we got to talk about a playoff win on the podcast man this is the Absolutely. this is a first it only took what where were we at episode 48 of season two episode what 137 Jeez. of the tip of the iceberg and we finally get to actually talk about a win i, I mean for me personally i'm going top right because i did work night shift last night so i'm a little delirious today but I'm also excited. So whatever that emotion is in the top right of Brandon Tanev, that's what I'm feeling at this current moment. But also, can we just really quickly appreciate how amazing it is to have Brandon Tanev on this hockey team? Man, remember when we signed him? I remember when we signed him and everybody said, everybody said I can't believe we have to, we have, to have him for, for five years. We signed a fourth liner for five years. You're goddamn right we did. You, yeah, we, yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. <laughs> So I'm very excited to have Brandon Tanev on the team. I love this tweet, so shout out to Pittsburgh Clothing Company once more. But that is going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. Horwat, any last words or predictions for Game 3 that come that happens the day this comes out? Uh, Nassau will be a battle, but mm -hmm. should be fun. The series is getting a little chippier. Uh, the Penguins seem to have their heads screwed on a little more straight, so... We're hoping for the best for it. That'll be it. Hopefully the Penguins come out, have a really good game three. We may be doing a post-game show after game three. We'll have to discuss each of our schedules and see what's going on with that. But if not, we will talk to you on Monday following both games the Penguins play on Long Island. But that's going to do it for this episode. Have a good weekend, Pens fans. You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.